Today on Mindful Headlines, we'll talk about the new social landscape kids will face going back to school. Will the school year really be back in the building, or will we go back to hybrid learning if the Delta variant continues to surge? There's no crystal ball, but Dr. Nero Bakshi, a child and adolescent psychiatrist, joins me today to help you tackle talking to your kids about it. How do you talk to them about keeping their masks on and social distancing? And we'll go from the little kids in elementary school to the older kids who maybe want to defy the rules. Let's face it, high school dances wouldn't be the same with masks on. And yeah, kindergartners don't know the difference between three and five feet. So what do you do? I really hope you'll enjoy this episode and it helps you navigate the back to school season. Oh, and I'm trying something new. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, there's a link in the show notes to the YouTube version. Dr. Bakshi, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being a part of this a second time. We had such a wonderful conversation the first time about mental health in Washington State and how children and adolescents have coped with the pandemic. So it's nice to talk again as we go into the new school year, which is fast approaching. Yes, it is. A lot of families are really excited about kids going back into the classroom, but there's this big cloud hanging over us, which is the Delta variant. And so there's a lot of questions swirling around for families as to how this school year is going to go. So I'm hoping in this podcast to answer some questions about that and prepare families for some difficult conversations that they might have to have. Yeah. Let me ask you, are you excited for your children to go back into the school? I definitely am. Um, So I've got two elementary age kids and I know that they've just been missing out on so much for the last year and a half. And so I'm pretty excited for them to be back in person, seeing their teachers in person and seeing their friends and classmates in person again. A lot of kids are going to be wearing masks inside the classroom and there might be some empty chairs because not everyone is necessarily going into the classroom. There may be this hybrid model that we saw last school year emerge. How do you think that is going to be received by kids? And maybe you can break it down elementary, middle school and high school as we have this conversation. That can be difficult. You're not really seeing your friends' faces. Sure, yeah. And I think especially as we think about the younger kids, the facial recognition of emotion is incredibly important, especially for kids who are in kindergarten, first grade, even preschool. That's where we pick up on a lot of our cues of how we socially signal to other people and how we receive social signals by checking out facial expressions. And so when half of your face is missing, you're missing that part of that development. I think what we're hoping for though, is that we're able to then express our emotions in other ways, especially for these younger kids. And, you know, I think at this point, it's it's really become a normal thing for us to be wearing masks out in public or when we're around with other people on airplanes, you know, where have you. And so I think there is some normalcy that kids have gotten with wearing their masks, but I think it really is this reiteration of why that's important and why it is that we're doing that, especially for the elementary school-aged kids. I think as we get a little bit older with the elementary kids, they have a greater understanding of the world around them. So when we think about third, fourth, and fifth graders, there is some awareness that they have in regards to what's going on in the world. There's some conversations that they're having with their friends or that their parents are having with them about the importance of the mask wearing and why that that's a really necessary thing for when they're going back to school in person. 
When we think about the middle schoolers, it's a little bit different, right? Because the middle schoolers are in this phase of when they're trying to figure out who they are, their identities, and how they relate to the world. And there's a lot of impact and influence that their peers have on that. So there's a really big importance for middle schoolers to be back in person as well, because that social signaling is even more important for them and how they interact with their outside world is even more important for them. And so I think with the middle schoolers, there's also that period of time where there's a little bit of that rebellion and pushing back against some of the rules, which is perfectly normal and natural. And so I think we may see a little bit there with maybe some disregard for the rules or needing some more reminders of why it's important for them. And I think with high schoolers, you're even more getting into the social aspect of things and how important that is for them. And so I think that we really wanna be thinking about as they are growing and developing and getting even more individuation, even more separation from their parents, how it is that they, that becomes their choice to wear the mask and how it's important for them to wear the mask. Not necessarily just because mom and dad or the guardians have said so, but it's a personal responsibility that they're choosing to enact as well. So we've got those different sort of ways that we have to be thinking about it when we're talking to our kids about the reason that we wear masks. In regards to masks versus having virtual learning, so the pro with virtual learning is you do get to see someone's entire face, right? And a lot of kids were doing virtual learning for the entire school year last year. When you're talking about being in person, is there an energy that humans can feel, you know, especially the little ones as they're starting to make friendships? And then you mentioned middle schoolers and how important it is to have social interaction. Is there something a little bit different of being in the same space in the same room as someone? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And I think that what we see when we're doing things virtually is one, that the teachers are having to put so much more energy into being present and being engaging with the kids. And not that that's not something that they can't do, but it just, it does require sort of an extra amount of enthusiasm that gets transmitted a little bit more naturally when you have somebody who's in person with you. So I think that there's a definite difference there. I think also to you, you can pick up on sort of the energy in the room a bit differently than you can when you're just talking to somebody over a, a Zoom meeting or over a remote learning situation. Um, and so there, you're able to pick up on sort of the intentions and the feeling that somebody is giving you in a much different way when you're in person. Speaking of picking up on enthusiasm, we have all been there getting ready for the first day of school. So many kids love that feeling of picking out their outfits, getting ready for a new teacher and friends that are gonna be in their classroom. And I think maybe two or three months ago, a lot of families were just so excited about this back to school and that things were going to be full steam ahead and relatively normal, in quotes. Now with this Delta variant, there is a lot of uncertainty as to whether the school year is going to look the same in the beginning of the school year as it does at the end of the school year. So let's walk through how to have a conversation with your child as they're so excited about the school year and the letdown that could happen depending on how this Delta variant affects the country. Um, let's start with elementary school kids. Yeah. So I think with elementary school kids, a really important thing that we wanna think about with them is, is that excitement and is that return to school and how much they are really fo looking forward to that. And I think that just as we have that excitement for them, we also have to measure our own disappointment and then how we potentially would talk to them about that disappointment if the school year doesn't end up looking the way that they want it to be looking, which is hopefully in person. 
And so it's really important, I think, to emphasize the flexibility, you know, and that we want to have the education. The education is extremely important, and however it is that we can receive that education, that we will go with. And so really exercising that flexibility, and I think sort of saving the disappointment that we might have to ourselves. Because I think sometimes if we show that disappointment, especially to elementary school kids, they pick up on it and then they assume it as their own. And so that's a really important thing that we have to be mindful of. So let me just ask you this real quick. Should parents, if they have little ones in elementary school, should they even bring up the idea that maybe the school year will go back to virtual learning or should they just leave that on the shelf, deal with it as it comes and just be excited about the first day of school? That's a really, really great question. And I think it's it's something that we have to approach individually. You know, and I think it's what is it that you know is your family's temperament. So if disappointment is something that's really hard for your family, then perhaps having some of those conversations ahead of time to sort of prepare for what the out, whatever the outcome could be, could be really helpful. So then that way, if there is a disappointment, then at least we've done some pre-planning ahead of time for that. If your family does tend to be more flexible and sort of more go with the flow, then you may not need to do as much pre-planning for a potential for that disappointment. And so I think that that's a really individual decision based off of how your family has their own personal temperament. And then for the elementary school kids, let's stick with that age group for a little bit. What should parents be asking their kids maybe after the first day of school or, you know, as the weeks progress, what should parents be asking how they feel about, you know, the interactions they're having with their peers, perhaps how they're learning, you know, what kinds of questions should they be asking their kids? You know, there's, I think, so many different things that really could be affecting the kids as they're going back to school. I think there's a mix of that that excitement as well as anxiety. And what we know about sort of how our brain functions are that excitement and anxiety are pretty much next door neighbors in our brain. So when you're knocking on one door, you're probably going to open the other one as well. And so I think it's really going into the like curiosity around the excitement and the anxiety and not necessarily suggesting how somebody feels. So I think a lot of times we as parents can go in and say, like, gosh, it wasn't that so exciting. So we're not really giving our child an opportunity to express how it actually felt for them. We're just sort of telling them how they should feel in that situation. And so I think allowing that, that opportunity for them to really explore, well, no, it didn't feel exciting, or it did feel exciting, or I was really anxious, or you know, I haven't seen my best friend in over a year, and so I was nervous that we wouldn't get along anymore. You know, and having an open dialogue as opposed to inserting what we think they should feel about what the situation is. Let's talk about middle school a little bit and um, what kinds of conversations parents should be having with their middle schoolers. A lot of times kids at that age group also have a lot of extracurriculars that they might be involved with and so that can kind of change the landscape of what they're dealing with in school. Maybe the rules are different in certain sports or you know um, activities outside of school and then the rules are different in school and you mentioned that that's the rebellious age. So how do parents tackle that? It's really being very open to the conversation because we also know that this is the age when the kids tend to be a little bit more pulling back. They tend to turn towards their social circle a bit more rather than telling their parents everything. They're more than likely going to be talking to their friends about how it is that they're feeling. And so I think having that open space for conversation and also that open space for why is it that the rules are different in one situation versus another? Um, And I think, again, you know, we may feel our own personal frustration 
situation that, okay, well, you can go to football practice and not have to wear your mask, but if you go to tennis practice, you've got to wear your mask. And so why that might be different, just as an example. Um, and being open to the conversation to that, you know, maybe I don't know all of the answers as your parent, but I'm here to talk through it with you. I think we, we need to get out of that phase. You know, I think in elementary school, we oftentimes think as parents that we need to be able to answer all of the questions that our kids have. But as they move into middle school, I think it's okay to have some of that, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm wondering if we can explore that together and really partnering with your child a little bit more as they're wanting to increase their independence and create some separation between you and them. And how does the conversation change into high school? Into high school, I think it is that kids are generally much more aware of what is going on in the world around them. You know, I think in middle school it is the my world is school and my friends at school, whereas when you get into high school, the kids tend to be a little bit more aware globally and aware nationally and locally as to what's happening. And so I think it really is, you're able to have a bit more of an in-depth conversation around you know, the, the scientific basis of why things are the way that they are or having a conversation around the changes that the CDC or the World Health Organization might be making. And so having a little bit more of those in-depth conversations can definitely happen with our high schoolers. And I think to your point, looking at those extracurricular activities and those volunteer opportunities and how is it that you're looking toward the next step, which is college potentially for somebody, how are you looking at all of those things and how do all of those play into how you tend to approach the, the mask versus not mask versus school versus virtual school situation. Before we started recording the podcast, we were trying to walk through the timeline of when everything happened and shut down. And the reality is we went through an entire school year pretty much virtually, which I think the time just went by so quickly in certain ways and very slowly in others. What do you think, since you're a parent, will be some of the things that remain in place as far as the way kids are learning? You know, we were able to have school virtually, which maybe a decade ago would have been impossible. So, and we're going to have that hybrid model this year. What are some of the things that you see continuing on into the future, just from your own experience? You know, I think that there has to be a, a continuation of the attentiveness that the teachers have to knowing that their students may be at different paths for their learning. You know, because I think for the virtual learning, there were some kids who were really engaged. There were some kids who did a really great job and didn't have any issues at all. But there were some kids who either didn't have the privilege to have a quiet place where they could do their work or able to engage or able to log on every single day consistently. And so I think that we have to be open and aware to there's going to be a lot of variability as to how the kids are presenting when they go back to school this, this fall. And there are some kids who were able to go back in person toward the end of last school year. And so how is it that their education and their progress might be different than somebody who is in the virtual landscape? And so I think that attentiveness that the teachers have really brought to knowing that their, their students are at different levels is something that's definitely going to have to continue. I think a lot of parents have been very able to see whether their child has spent the extra time learning more things during the pandemic and able to really sit down and um, have a, you know, a space where they're able to learn and engage. And then where the other kids have maybe not had such an easy time and they have fallen behind some of their peers. But if parents have not been able to assess that quite yet, do you think that this school year will shed a light on that? And how do parents look for that in their kids? I'm hoping that it will. Um, and I think that what we have to be looking at is 
what is the interaction like when their kids are returning back in school? Are they able to keep pace with whatever the demands are of that curriculum? And I think it's also engaging with the school counselors as well as if there needs to be a 504 or an individualized educational plan in order to support that growth that needs to happen to get them back up to grade level or you know functioning at the level that they're expected to be functioning at. And so I think it really is being curious around like what we were talking about earlier is what is that experience like for you? How are you feeling in, in the classroom? How are you absorbing the information? Do you feel prepared for this level? Or are we maybe still struggling with some of the things that were the previous grade? Um, and how do, we, how do we overcome those things? I think what we also have to be thinking about are the kids who already were on those individualized education plans and those 504 plans who maybe weren't able to access the services in the way that they would have if they had been in person. And so how is it that we overcome sort of that lapse that those kids really needed in regards to that support and that they could have only gotten in person? And that needs to be assessed as well. So that's a little bit of the academic side. Let's return back to kids and their social uh, engagement in school and we know that it's such a large component of it right of developing socially for kids that have not been with their friends or now they're tasked with making new friends which is always nerve-wracking for anyone at any age how can parents help that process along because the reality is our kids have been watching screens for a year and now you're in person and you're having to make new friends yeah I think you know one of the things that we really need to think about when we're when we're talking to our kids about that social aspect is having them feel confident in who they are. You know, I think that's one of the things that often gets reflected back to kids when they're with their peer groups is that they get positive reinforcement for certain aspects of their personality. And so then they say, okay, you know, my friend liked that I am this way or that I'm funny or, you know, what have you. And so I'm going to keep doing that because I'm getting positive feedback. And so I think it really is taking a look at what is our kid's personality and how do we give them that positive feedback that they might not have been getting from their peer group as a way to almost build build up their confidence in themselves. Because I think that there's going to be quite a bit of sort of questioning about the kids that they have for themselves in regards to, well, I don't know how to interact or I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do that. I've kind of forgotten it or it's dropped off. And sort of saying, well, you know, I see this in you. I see that you're a really compassionate person. So how do you think you can show your compassion? Or, you know, you're always really helpful around the house. So how do you think you might be able to help a classmate if they're having a problem or if they're struggling? So ways to build up their natural confidence in their own abilities, I think is a really great way to approach it. Is there a good way to do that for kids under the age of 10? Yeah, I think so. I think it's oftentimes what we do in therapeutic settings, you know, is if a kid's coming in is we'll even do just like play therapy. So it's engaging the child in something that's an enjoyable activity like playing a game or, you know, coloring or something like that. And then that opens up the ability to have a conversation. Because if you approach a kid and say, hey, what is it that you're confident about to a seven-year-old? they're probably not gonna be able to answer that question for you. But if you talk to them as they're engaging in an activity, that's more than likely gonna put their guard down a little bit and have them be able to engage with you in that curiosity. You could have that question with a middle schooler or high schooler. And if your middle schooler or high schooler doesn't have necessarily great confidence, is there a way that parents can help build that confidence right now? 
Yeah, most definitely. I think it is engaging in activities together to really explore what are the things that it is that you enjoy and how do we re-engage with those things? Is it that you used to really love to play the guitar, but that's kind of fallen off? How can we maybe look at some online classes and do it together, you know, as a way to build that confidence and to build that structure for the person? What about for parents who have kids who are very unexcited about going back to school in person. They would rather do school online. They have been able to learn more online. They don't have the social anxiety, perhaps, of going back into the classroom. What do you say to those families? I think it's an assessment that that family has to do to see is it that maybe virtual schooling makes more sense? You know, if it is a situation in which the kid is saying, look, I've done better virtually than I did in person, I've been able to organize myself and make it work. If the family can make that work as a structure, then maybe that's something that you actually look into. And there's lots of different options for virtual schooling these days. If it is, though, that the family is saying, well, we've got to do in-person school for whatever reason, then I think that we have to engage in in the conversation with the kid around, well, what are the barriers? What are the reasons that you don't want to go back to school? And how is it that we can talk through those and really identify, you know, while there may be barriers or there may not be as much excitement, this is a thing that we've got to do for whatever reason. And so how is it that we can accept the situation for what it is and be able to engage in it, even though it may not necessarily be exactly what it is that we want to do. In therapeutic terms, we kind of call this radical acceptance. It's this idea of the situation that I've got before me is the situation. There's nothing that I can really do to change or to control it. And so what can I do to bring my acceptance of the situation up to the level where then I can actually engage in whatever it is that I'm doing? I like that. Radical acceptance. I feel like a lot of us had had to (laughs) have radical acceptance during the pandemic. Definitely. It's a skill set I think many of us have either acquired or have tried (laughs) or or we're working toward it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I do want to ask you, though, how can parents assess that? How do you find that balance? Because sometimes pushing through something is good. Other times we have to pull back. Right. And maybe doing classes virtually is more comfortable for your child, but perhaps pushing them to be more social Mm -hmm. is better in the long term. So how do parents and families decide that? Yeah. And I think you're exactly right when you said, how do you assess what it is that you need to do? And I think it really is having that open and honest conversation with your child. We've seen this focus on mental health, not only with the Olympics, but through the course of the pandemic. And I think we see again and again that mental health for children and for adolescents has really been suffering through this pandemic. And, you know, we in at, here at Eating Recovery Center and at Pathlight, we hear quite a bit from the adolescents that are coming in is that when the lockdowns happened and isolation started happening and they were sort of left to their own thoughts, be it eating disorder thoughts, depression thoughts, anxiety thoughts, when they were left to their own thoughts and didn't have their peers around to really bounce ideas off of, everything just got worse. It got darker, they became more isolated, they became more withdrawn. And so we really do know that there is that benefit in that social interaction and sort of bringing somebody out from their shell. And so I think that if we can even have that kind of an honest conversation, especially with like our middle schoolers or our high schoolers, if we can have that kind of an honest conversation of the risks and benefits or the pros and the cons of virtual schooling and being at home versus being surrounded by a peer group, then I think that we can really get into that assessment as to what actually is going to be helpful here. 
You've said have an open and honest conversation with your child a few times during this podcast, which I think maybe some parents listening might say, well, you're a psychiatrist. That comes <laughs> easily for you, but it's hard for me to sit down and have that kind of conversation with my child, or maybe I don't have that kind of relationship. Maybe we're not in a household that's very open and we don't discuss problems. Can you give some words of encouragement or tips for parents that maybe have a hard time with that? Yeah, and I think, I mean, we encounter parents who have a hard time with that here all the time. And I think a lot of what we do for them is talk about this idea of emotion validation. And so it's not necessarily that like you have to agree with everything that your child says. I think if we open the door to the conversation, the way to keep the conversation going is to say, I understand what it is that you're saying. It's not, I agree with what you're saying or we're gonna do 100% of what it is that you're saying. It's just the idea of putting out there that I am an open receptacle for you to express whatever it is that you want to express without me challenging that what your feelings or what your thoughts are, are true or not. So just allowing that space to exist. And the way that we crack that open even is by just even saying that, by saying, hey, you know, I know that we haven't necessarily had these conversations or we haven't had this kind of a relationship, but I'm really committed to changing that. And so I'm gonna show you that by being open. And I'm gonna show you that by asking these questions and letting you know that I actually do care. So I think by even just showing some of that vulnerability, we then are allowing our child and giving our child that permission that vulnerability is okay. So Dr. Bakshi, we've talked a little bit about masks, but now let's talk about social distancing because that's another factor going into our school year. And for elementary school kids, that can be really difficult to determine whether you have to stay six or eight feet apart when you just wanna play. How do parents have conversations with their kids about social distancing? You know, I think you bring up a really, really great point, right? And especially as we're thinking about our younger elementary school kids, so kindergarten, first grade, even into second grade, there is that desire to be close. And, you know, oftentimes I would see the kindergartners lined up at my kids' elementary school and they're hugging on each other and they're just so happy to see their friends. And so how is it that you tell like a five or a six-year-old, nope, you need to stay away from Johnny and you need to be three feet and that's this and, you know, what have you. And it's, it is a really, really difficult thing. And I think as much as we can, we have to try to enforce it. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're gonna be perfect at it. And I think that that's where we have to just have a little bit of grace with ourselves and with our schools, is that it's not gonna be exactly perfectly, you know, a meter stick between each child to make sure that they're three feet apart. And there are gonna be times where our child's gonna come home wearing Johnny's mask. And we're gonna know that it's our friends, you know, we wanna swap with our friends. <laughs> and it's definitely something that we need to be aware of. You know, I know I'm making light of it, but we also need to know that it is kind of normal to engage in that as well. And so I think it is just really that consistency of the message that we give to them and also knowing and giving some grace to the teachers and to the folks at the school as well too. They're doing the really the best job that they possibly can and they're not gonna catch everything 100%. And so really like assuming that everybody is in this trying to keep the kids safe is a really great place to start. I think though that we've also got to make sure that we are saying to our kid if he comes home with Johnny's mask on of, hey, you know, I know Johnny really is your best friend and you wanted to wear his mask and we really can't be doing that. So I'm going to have a conversation with Johnny's mom or dad and let them know, hey, this is not something that we can keep doing. So we got to make sure that Johnny and our kid 
kind of keep their hands to themselves as much as possible and keep their own masks on their own faces as much as possible. And so really breaking it down into language that our kids can understand is the most important part of it. Speaking of keeping hands to yourself, the older kids might have trouble with social distancing for different reasons, although they can understand the distance and can adhere to those rules, but they might have difficulties just being, you know, in social situations. How do parents talk to their older kids about that as well? Yeah. And I think, you know, especially when we're getting into the middle school and the high school ages, which is perfectly normal for them, but it's this idea of, yes, I understand that that's a risk, but it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my friends. I haven't experienced anybody who that's happened to. So I'm not as concerned about it. And so I think we kind of get into that immortal phase and the way that some teenagers can think about things, which again is perfectly developmentally normal. I think what we do have to have those the conversations around is, yes, we can spend time with our friends, we can keep our masks on, we understand that part, but we're not gonna have the sleepover, right? Because you're not gonna sleep with your masks on and sleeping and exchanging air with each other in a tight space with the door closed is probably not something that we wanna do. So how is it that we still maintain some boundaries and some rules? but knowing that the kids are gonna push back on that and they're probably gonna give us the eye rolls and say, but it's not gonna happen. We don't know anybody who that's happened to and still saying, yeah, I get it that we haven't experienced it yet, but my job is to keep you safe. And so this is something that I feel like is really important for me to keep you safe. And that's also important probably for the high school seniors, the kids in college as well, that immortality and thinking, well, if I just go to this party and I take my mask off for a little bit, it'll be fine. Can you address that at all? Yeah. You know, I I would love to say, yeah, it's going to be fine. Just take your mask off. It'll be it'll be no problem at all. But then we also did see, you know, for example, the University of Washington when they were having those parties on fraternity and sorority row and there were these outbreaks that were happening after every single one of these parties that were happening. And, you know, not to single out one fraternity or sorority or even the University of Washington, but we know that it actually did happen and it happened to quite a few of the of the folks who were there and so I you know I'd say yeah sure we could think that it might not happen to you that just this one time is going to be okay but we have evidence to support that more than likely it actually is going to not be okay and what we know especially about the delta variant is that it's more highly transmissible than the previous variants that we've already encountered and so we've got to be even more on guard and even more cautious about it. Can we admit, though, that's tough because oh, yeah. high school, college, I mean, those are the years that you want to have fun. You want to be out there socializing, however it may be, and totally. masks do not they do make not that allow. easy. They do not allow for that. And that's something I actually say to my patients all the time is me saying the words is incredibly easy. To actually then put that into action is where the rubber hits the road. And it is much, much more difficult. Yeah, I don't envy any parent having to have that conversation. Same. The first podcast that we did together, we spoke about mental health in Washington State and um, depression, anxiety, all of that had increased during the pandemic. We also talked a lot about bullying, specifically online bullying and how bullying has changed throughout the years and how so many kids are dealing with that. So. I want to hear your opinion on how that might affect kids as we start the new school year in terms of the conversation surrounding vaccines, Mm -hmm. because we have seen that play out for adults, the pressure to feel like you have to get a vaccine or the admonishment if you didn't get the vaccine. And a lot of times kids are at mercy of how their families are dealing with that. So 
How do you think that's going to play out in schools? Yeah, I think you're hitting on an incredibly important point because the idea of the vaccine, getting vaccinated or not, has been incredibly polarizing in our society. And there are people who feel very, very strongly in one camp or the other about the vaccine. And I think you're exactly right when you said that it really does depend on sort of what our family structure thinks about the vaccine. You know, myself being in healthcare, I was very pro-vaccine, um, so as much as I can, I'm pushing that and you know, saying to my family members that I think that this is incredibly important. But I'm also encountering you know, parents of, of my kids' friends who are saying, nope, I don't trust this vaccine and we're not going to get it. And so I think we're gonna have this mix then as we're returning to schools of kids who sort of either are reflecting what their parents think or reflecting the opposite of what their parents think. And we're going to have this sort of confluence of not only of the kids, but then of the teachers and the administrators and the counselors who also have their own individual opinions about the vaccines. And you know, at this point, it's not being required, but we're probably going to get to that point where it is going to be required um, to be in schools. And so it's a very delicate conversation that we've got to have. And I think all the more reason, because we're gonna have this confluence of people who are vaccinated and not vaccinated, that we've gotta be doing the masks. Because you know, as we've seen in all of those infographics, having two people masked you know, who are doing that physical distancing is one of the best ways to prevent the transmission of this, of this virus. Do you have any advice for educators or teachers that might be listening as far as how to handle those kinds of conflicts surrounding the vaccine, whether it's between two students or whether it's their own personal feelings and they find out perhaps a student hasn't gotten the vaccine and they wish they had or, or vice versa? Yeah. You know, I think it's it's incredibly difficult space, space for, for teachers to have to be in um, because they've got their own personal beliefs one way or another, and then they've got to follow whatever it is that the school district is mandating. And what we know across the country is a variety of different school districts are mandating very different things, or you know, state governments are mandating very, very different things. And then you have the changing recommendations that all of us are dealing with. You know, One day we're okay to take our masks off, and then the next day it's not feeling so safe to take your mask off. And so I think it is a really delicate space that teachers have to wade into. And I think as much as possible, sort of putting their own personal thoughts and feelings to the side and again being somebody open that a student can come and talk to and knowing that teachers do have a lot of influence over what the kids believe not only you know in elementary school but also through high school you know we all can think about our favorite high school teacher and still think about that person with with admiration and and affection and we know that that's an incredibly important relationship and so I think it's really navigating those waters very delicately and again, putting personal feelings to the side, but really talking about what are the facts that we know and whether or not we want to believe in the science or not. As a parent, what are you most worried about for this next school year? I think I'm most worried about things starting out one way and then having to shift. Um, and you know, again, we kind of, in therapeutic terms, talk about this as set shifting. And what set shifting is, is sort of looking at things in one way, but then being able to adjust and have to look at it at a completely different way. And so, you know, I think we were talking earlier about this idea of being planners and really sort of wanting to have things laid out in a certain way. And I, I think I am similar in that I'd love to have things laid out in a certain way and have a certain degree of certainty about what's going to happen and that that's what's going to happen for the entire school year. And so I think I'm just, I'm most nervous about starting out one way and then having to pull back and have to do it differently again. What are you most excited for? I'm excited for my kids to see their friends and their teachers, 
they really are missing being in their school building. And so I'm really excited for them to be able to experience that. Anything else you'd like to add as far as for parents or maybe for students directly as they have to navigate this new school year? And I know a lot of people will continue to be virtual and some have already gone into the classroom and have already experienced hybrid. But the reality is, is it was just a short time at the end of last school year. So we've had the summer break and now they have to get back into the swing of things. Yeah. You know, I, you mentioned earlier that I said open and honest conversations a couple of times. <laughs> um, and I did. And, you know, I think that that's so incredibly important. And so I think that as we're looking at this return to school, I think that we also have to look at what are our opportunities for growth, not only for the, our kids, but for ourselves as well. And so how is it that maybe I've had a certain worldview, but I need to set shift and look at things in a slightly different way based off of the way that things are changing? And how is it that I can engage myself in increasing my flexibility and model that for my kids as well? Because we don't know what's going to happen. As much as we like felt very certain a couple of months ago that we knew what was going to happen, we're all having to set shift and we're all having to put out flexibility that we may be resentful for. And so how is it that we work towards building that for ourselves so that we can model it for our kids and that they can do it as well? Dr. Bakshi, thanks for this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Once again, that was Dr. Niru Bakshi, a child psychiatrist at Eating Recovery Center of Washington. Her clinic is located in Bellevue, and you can find a link in our show notes, along with more resources for parents and related articles from king5.com. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. See you next time.